So on this first Friday, we think of the Sacred Heart, we pray to the Sacred Heart, we ask that God's mercy be poured out on this broken world. Um, in the first reading, we have like the summary of David's life. And you can tell it was not written recently because it's actually very positive and sort of likes David. It doesn't take one very minor incident and blow it up and say that explains everything. It takes the very major incident that he loved God and God loved him, and that colors everything. We've been, and it's not like the Bible hides what David did. He was not perfect, um, but it's not just with the goodness of the future, people look back and forget what we've done that's bad. It's actually just because there's a very clear optic here. David, what was he in God's plan? And the summary of the end is very beautiful. He sinned and God forgave him. That's all we know about some pretty terrible episodes in David's life. But we do know that he prayed before he took those little stones up. That doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. This is like a man who looked at David's life and said, yes, I know all the facts too. But the real fact is, did he love God and did God love him? And God certainly loved him like he loves everyone. And David was totally in love with God with all his failings, with all his faults. But there's one little line that says, yes, he sinned and God forgave him in his great mercy and he did amazing things. Sometimes we think we are immune to what is going on around us. And, but even when I was reading the first reading yesterday, I was thinking, I, do, would we be able to summarize any life of anybody we know like that with the heart of goodness? That's how Jesus wants to summarize our life. They say that when you go to confession, the sins are actually forgotten. Not just God, God knows what we did. Just like here, it's not like we forget what David did, but does it matter in the scale of eternity if the mercy of God is what it is, how much does our sin matter? Let's not give ourselves too much credit. But let's also not paint our neighbor with the brush of that minimalistic, secular view of his or her life. And not just looking back at the past, pick anybody. You can find problems in anybody's life. I don't know if modern society has realized that yet. Maybe they will someday. If you really start digging, basically, except for Jesus Christ, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and John the Baptist, there's not much to go on in terms of perfection. We know that. Why are we surprised? Why do Christians act as if, oh no, somebody I admire did something bad once or twice or 20 times? Why do we act as if we didn't know already? That's not surprising. That's not the shock. The shock is the other one, that God uses people. God wants to use people to spread his love and his grace to a broken world. That should always put us in a sort of state of awe and wonder and amazement and humility. And that's why Jesus says, do not judge your brother. You know, take the plank out of your own eye. If you want to work on something, don't work on revising history. Don't work on smashing your neighbor's reputation. It doesn't matter who your neighbor it is. It does not matter which political party your neighbor happens to be in. Do not do that because it is devilish. It will not help anybody do anything better. Look where God was glorified through the life of your neighbor, of your brother, of your sister, and draw attention to that in your own heart and 
in your words and in your deeds. Draw attention to the glory of God breaking through a pretty broken world. That is the good news. That is the good news. So if people don't know what the good news is, maybe we haven't talked about it. Maybe we've been nitpicking and looking at the little black spot or the huge black spot as if it's amazing that we noticed it and giving ourselves a pat on the back that we could rip somebody down. And then what? Where's the witness in that? Just a short note to the gospel. You know the story, I know the story. Now here it goes on and on and on about how terrible and corrupt and evil this web of sin is. Because John says something, Herod gets mad. Because he gets mad, his wife gets mad. Because she gets mad, her daughter gets mad. That is how sin goes. It oozes through family structures as well and societies and seems to be unstoppable. But it isn't. That's the point of this story, if we know what the good news is. John did what he was supposed to do, and this whole mechanism of sin took over. But at the end of the day, you know what? St. John the Baptist was a martyr. He was a prophet. He did what he had to do. Good. We get into nitty-gritty details of how he had to suffer because of sinful men and women. But at the end of the day, Jesus has the victory. So when Herod hears about Jesus, Everybody's saying, oh, it could be John, it could be Elijah, it could be a prophet. A lot of opinions. And Herod knows this is John because Jesus feels to him like John felt. Jesus bears witness to truth like John did. So Herod closes his eyes and says, who does this guy feel like? Who does he remind me of? He reminds me of John, the guy who spoke clearly and fascinated me, even though in my sin I did not want to accept God's mercy. For us, it's a little different. They should be able to close their eyes and say, who does this man or woman feel like? I listen to his words. I listen to her thoughts. I see what he or she does. This person reminds me of Jesus. That same feel I get when I know about mercy and love and redemption and forgiveness and sin and how it has been crushed. When I hear this person speak, that's the feeling I get. Let's pray for that grace that people who encounter us feel as if they've encountered Jesus.